morning. Good morning, those who are joining us online, live streaming this morning. I want to start off today with a little bit of a quiz. We're going to do a quiz. We're going to see if our truth detectors are awake and functioning. I want to read you uh, eight headlines. Some of these are fact and some of these are fake. So as I read these headlines, just call out fact or fake. Number one, a live, laugh, love sign was recently discovered in Paul the Apostle's prison cell. <laughs> it's fake. Number two, a California man was sentenced to 20 years for possession of a crazy straw. Fake. Number three, a report indicates audiences were paid to laugh at the Full House TV show. <laughs> no, that's fake. Uh, sounds true. Number four, a mobile phone died saving an Australian man from an arrow launched at him by an assailant. That is fact. That's true. Five, Harvard is now offering a four-year degree in feeling oppressed. That's fake. Should be true. Six, Indonesian police apologize for using a snake in Pow Pow interrogations. That is fact. Seven, a new Bible with perforated pages has been produced so people can remove the pages they don't like. No, that's fake. And finally, number eight, a church installed ejection seats so they can remove members <laughs> whose phones ring during the service. I'm not even going to tell you that one. Just turn those phones off. So as we move into April now, and in our run-up to Easter, we're going to start a new sermon series called Headlines. Now, the gospel, the word gospel, uh, comes from two English, old, old English words, gos meaning God or good, and spell meaning news or story. So the word itself literally means the good news, or a good story, or God's news, or God's story. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, identifies what's called the gospel in a nutshell. So he gives a definition for the gospel, and it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus predicted by Old Testament prophecy and testified to by eyewitnesses who witnessed Jesus after his resurrection. But the, the core and the heart of what the gospel actually is, it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is good news. But there are other appellations that can apply to that account as well. So it's true news. It's real news. It's bad news in some cases. It's good news. And today I want to start off with thinking about fake news and the relationship of fake news to the good news. I mean, fake news is all over the media these days. So, and there are some people who would charge that the gospel is fake news too. Not everybody, of course, believes it. So I want to say three things about the gospel this morning and its relation to fake news. Number one, I've got an outline on the back of your bulletin. Number one, fake news is possible only if there is real news. Fake news is possible only if there is such a thing as real news. John 8, 32, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So just talking about fake news implies there's something in contrast to that that is real, that is fact, that is true, that bears saying, I know it's obvious, but we live in a culture, most of you are aware of this, should be aware of it by now, it's called the postmodern culture. And the postmodern culture is characterized by this primarily more than anything else, a denial of absolute truth. In our culture, all truth is subjective, all truth is relative. You have your truth, I have my truth, may not be the same thing. Truth is a social construct in a postmodern culture where a group of people can get together and decide that something is true. It's true for them because it's pragmatic and it works and it empowers them. Now, the common sense definition of truth and that, that has operated in Western culture for most time and that most of us would accept this theory of truth. You have different theories of truth. 
is that truth corresponds to reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. That is not our postmodern culture. All truth is subjective. All truth is relative. And one of the reasons is um, for that conclusion, the postmodern conclusion, is what philosophers call the egocentric predicament. The egocentric predicament. I want to illustrate this with a hula hoop. Y'all want to see me do the hula hoop? You're not going to see that this morning. Not that I'm against it. I just can't do it. I can't do it. But um, so I'll use myself as an example of the egocentric predicament, but it's universally true of all people. And we'll just have this, this ring here represent my limitations as far as what I know or believe that I know. So I am limited, for instance, by geography. I've I visited a few states in our country. I've visited maybe two other countries outside, but I haven't been to every state, and I haven't been to every country, and I haven't been to every city within every state or country. So, I, you know, I'm limited. I can't go to all places. I haven't been everywhere. My experiences are limited. The, the books that I've read, I've read a certain number of books. That's all relative. It's a lot compared to some. It's a little compared to others. I am limited by my lifespan. I can only learn a certain amount of information given my lifespan. I'm limited by the fact I don't have access to the future. So therefore, let's say this ring represents everything I know and what I believe to be true is most of the knowledge that exists inside my ring or outside of my ring. It's outside of my ring. Most of the knowledge, I don't even know what I don't know. Most of the knowledge is outside of my experience. And that's true of all of us, of every person. And so a postmodernist would say, how do you know that what you think is true is not contradicted by somewhere you haven't been or an experience that you haven't had or some knowledge that's out there that you don't have access to, that you can't even have access to? For instance, in the first century, there was a Latin poet that coined the phrase black swan. Black swan represented something that didn't exist and could not exist. Why? Because in the Roman Empire at that time, all swans that had been observed were white. So there was no such thing as a black swan. In the 17th century, a Dutch explorer went to Western Australia and observed black swans. And so the black swan has come to mean something that's unexpected, something that was once thought impossible but is, but is in fact possible or does exist. There's a whole book that's been written by an author who says you ought to anticipate black swans economically and politically. These are the, anticipate the unexpected. But that's just an example something that was thought to be true by a first century, the Roman Empire, but was in fact untrue. So a postmodernist would say, that's true of everything you think you know, because we are all limited by our cultural biases, how we grow up, where we grow up, the time period, our, our lifespans, inability to access the future. Now, so is there absolute truth? Is there such a thing as true news? Well, we believe that there is in the church. I affirm the existence of absolute truth. One philosopher said, you know, we're all limited and there's no view from nowhere. However, there's one exception to that. If there is a being who is not limited geographically, he's omnipresent. If there is a being who is not limited in his knowledge, he's omniscient. If there is a being who's not limited by a lifespan, he is eternal, then that being would have the view from nowhere. That being would exist outside of that circle, the egocentric predicament. And of course, we believe there is such a being. We're theists. We believe that being is God, the God of the Bible, as the Bible describes him. And therefore, there is a definition for absolute truth. Absolute truth is equivalent to the contents of the mind of God. What God knows, he knows absolutely. 
and it is absolutely true. And if that God decided that he was going to reveal some of the contents of his mind, absolute truth, to his creations, what we call revelation, then that revelation that we have received would be absolutely true, something we can be certain of. And God has, in fact, done that, and he's revealed truth in other ways, too, in, in his natural world that can be observed and studied. So all I'm doing here is laying a foundation. There is such a thing as absolute truth. It bears saying in our culture, and that God is going to hold us accountable for that. He expects us, the Bible's very clear, that God expects us to search for the truth, to come to an understanding of the truth, and to be men and women of the truth. 1 Timothy 2.4, God desires all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. And by the way, just as an aside, to say, to make the statement, there is no such thing as absolute truth, that in itself is, is holds within it the seeds of its own destruction. It's called a suicide statement because that's a statement that's designed to be taken absolutely. Right? There is absolutely no such thing as absolute truth. That is an absolute truth statement. So the denial of absolute truth is self-contradictory to begin with. All right, so, but you know that. Just wanted to lay a foundation for us this morning. Here's the second thing. By the relationship of the gospel to fake news. Number two, don't get faked out by head fakes. Don't get faked out by head fakes. Peter writes, actually, 2 Peter 1.16. I think I put 1 Peter. 2 Peter 1.16. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the fake headlines that I read to you in this morning's quiz came from a publication called the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee is a satirical publication. All, they, I get their email every single day, and it's a handful of satirical, fake headlines, either religious or political. So the readers all know that they're fake. They're designed to be humorous and to make a point. But there are a lot of statements that are floated out there that are not designed to be humorous, and, and people are not necessarily aware that they are false. Of course. There are attacks that are made upon Christianity and the factual, historical, truth nature of Christianity. There are other religious truth claims that contradict what we believe in the church. Islam, for instance, says that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Islam believes in Jesus, that he was a great man, but not that he rose from the dead. Christianity says Jesus rose from the grave. Now, those are two contradictory statements truth claims from two different religions. They both can't be true at the same time because they contradict each other. That would violate the law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction underlies Western thought, rational thought, logical thought. It says two contradictory statements cannot both be true at the same time and in the same way. That's the law of non-contradiction. Again, it's kind of common sense, but it is denied at times. There are Eastern philosophers that say, oh, yes, it is possible for two contradictory statements to both be true at the same time and in the same way, but they're wrong. They're wrong. There was a Middle Eastern philosopher who said, anyone who denies the law of non-contradiction should be beaten and burned until he admits that to be beaten is not the same thing as not to be beaten, and to be burned is not the same thing as not to be burned. Now, that's kind of extreme, but we all live knowing you cannot violate the law of non-contradiction. So I bring that up because I'm calling these head fakes. A lot of times these, 
these surface, especially around Easter and around Christmas, when you start hearing and circulating on Facebook and in other venues uh, the reasons that Christianity are not true. Jesus Seminar is one of those. Uh, I read one just this past uh, Christmas that was sent to me in an email, and I put something up about it on Facebook, where the claim is made that the, the truths of Christianity are actually based on ancient mythological religions. Ancient mythological religions. It was Dan Brown wrote The Da Vinci Code. Some of you read that book. Some of you saw that movie. Dan Brown makes a statement, nothing in Christianity is original. It's all based on ancient religions. Uh, and I'll give you an example on this. Zeitgeist is a 2007 movie. Zeitgeist is on YouTube. I checked it just this past week. It's four and a half million views on YouTube. Zeitgeist makes these claims about the Egyptian god Horus. Okay? Horus predates Christianity. The Egyptian god Horus. He was born on December 25th of a virgin, Isis Mary. A star in the east proclaimed his arrival. Three kings came to adore the newborn savior. He became a child prodigy teacher at age 12. At age 30, he was baptized and began a ministry. Horus had 12 disciples. Horus was betrayed. Horus was crucified. Horus was buried for three days, and he was resurrected after three days. So obviously, the accounts of Jesus are simply borrowed from this pagan source that predates Christianity. You're thinking, well, thanks a lot, Steve. I came here this morning. I thought I was a disciple of Jesus, and now I'm a disciple of Horus. All right, but, but those are the claims that are made. Head fake. When you actually read the writings about the ancient Egyptian mythological god Horus, here's what you find. Horus was born to Isis. There is no mention in history of her being called Mary. Isis was not a virgin. She conceived Horus with Osiris. Horus was born in October, not December 25th. There's no record of three kings visiting Horus at his birth. Horus is not a savior in any way. He did not die for anyone. There are no accounts of Horus being a teacher at age 12. Horus was not baptized. The only account of Horus that involves water is one story where he's torn to pieces with Isis requesting that the crocodile god fish him out of the water. Horus did not have a ministry. Horus did not have 12 disciples. There's no account of Horus being betrayed by a friend. He did not die by crucifixion. There's no account of Horus being buried for three days. And Horus was not resurrected. The whole claim is fake news. But if you didn't know that, you wouldn't know that. And some people get shook up and faked out by claims like that. On the back of your bulletin today, I've listed some resources. Under resources here, just four books. There are many out there. These are in a category of literature called apologetics. That has to do with the defense of the faith. You know, it behooves us every once in a while to read a book like that. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist or The Case for Christ or The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, or Somebody's Problem with God is Pain and Suffering, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. You know, I don't expect everybody to, to read this the same number of books that I do and, and apologetics and whatnot. That, that's my vocation. That's what I'm supposed to. But I'm telling you, every once in a while, we all need to reinforce our faith with this kind of literature. Take a break from Game of Thrones. Who cares who sits on the Iron Throne? What difference does that really make? Take a break from Fortnite. Take an hour or two and read something that's going to reinforce our faith. After this morning's sermon, there was a lady who came up to me after church. She said, I pay for my daughter's college tuition. And she said, I'm going to require her to read one of these books before she gets her tuition paid for. And I said, that's fantastic. Because you know, in college, 
our Christian students get hammered as far as their faith. They need to have that reinforced. So, but my, my, my main point here is don't get faked out by head fakes. The third thing I want to say here, the resurrection of Jesus is fact, not fake. The resurrection of Jesus is fact, not fake. Luke 1, verse 1 and following, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, writes, Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Now, let me go manuscript with you for just a little bit. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read for you just a little bit here, but hang, hang with me. And I don't expect you to remember details here, but just to leave an impression. Same thing with these books, these resources. You don't necessarily remember anything in those books, but they leave a great impression and foundation. Flavius Josephus was the greatest Jewish historian of his time. His time was the first century, the first century A.D., one of his works is now famous, Antiquities of the Jews, which he finished in AD 93. In book 18, chapter 3, section 3 of that work, Josephus, who is not a Christian, writes the following, quote, At this time, the time of Pilate, there was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders, end quote. Including Josephus, there are 10 non-Christian sources, writers, who mention Jesus within 150 years of his life. By contrast, there are nine non-Christian sources who mention Tiberius Caesar, who was the emperor at the time of Jesus. Including the Christian sources, authors mentioning Jesus outnumber those mentioning Tiberius by 43 to 10. Piecing together all 10 non-Christian references, we know this about Jesus' life. Number one, Jesus lived during the time of Tiberius Caesar. Two, he lived a virtuous life. Three, he was a wonder worker. He had a brother named James. He was acclaimed to be the Messiah. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified on the eve of the Jewish Passover. Darkness and an earthquake occurred when he died. His disciples believed he rose from the dead. His disciples were willing to die for this belief. Christianity spread rapidly as far as Rome. His disciples denied the Romans' gods, and they worshiped Jesus. The New Testament accounts of Jesus cannot be legendary for the following reasons. Number one, the New Testament documents were written well within two generations of the events. And eyewitnesses or contemporaries were the writers. Number two, the New Testament storyline is corroborated by non-Christian writers. Number three, the New Testament mentions at least 30 historical figures who have been confirmed by sources outside the New Testament. The New Testament documents meet the seven tests that historians often use to determine whether to believe a given historical document is true. These tests are as follows. Number one, do we have early testimony? Two, do we have eyewitness testimony? Three, do we have testimony from multiple independent eyewitness sources? Number four, are the eyewitnesses trustworthy? Five, do we have corroborating evidence from archaeology and other writers? Six, do we have enemy attestation? And number seven, does the testimony contain events or details that are embarrassing to the authors? The answer to all seven of those tests as they apply to the gospel are yes. In most cases, 
Documents that meet all or most of these historical tests are considered trustworthy and reasonable, beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, this is kind of an intellectual type of message this morning. It's head knowledge as opposed to heart knowledge. Not really tugging at the hearts this morning, but it's important to have a message like this every once in a while because if it doesn't make sense up here, if it doesn't ring true up here, it's not going to sink in and hold in our hearts. I often think about a young lady we had attending here. I baptized her into Christ a few years ago. She was a young mother of two. Her husband had left her, and she's divorced, young mother of two. She was with us for two or three years, and then she married an atheist. And predictably, this atheist began hammering her and trying to undermine her faith. Next thing you know, she's on Facebook proclaiming that she is an atheist. She's an atheist now. She didn't talk to me about it. She didn't talk to anybody in the church about it. She just dropped out and made that declaration. And she had many Christian friends, other, not even in our church, who were going online and saying, hey, you know, you got to rethink this. Don't, don't do this. And she said, oh, if you loved me, you would affirm me. You would affirm me in my atheism and you wouldn't challenge me. And not really understanding it. If what we believe is true, she's just made a decision to go from life to death and eternity in heaven to eternity in hell. We can't affirm that. But in any case, I often think about her. And part of our job in the church, especially in leadership, is to equip, to equip our faith and ground and root our faith on a firm foundation so we can withstand the head fakes, the fake grenades that people toss at us. Sometimes I feel like I, I fa- if I said her name, some of you would know who she was. Some of you know who I'm talking about anyway. I often feel like I failed her. Here's my responsibility and our responsibility in leadership in the church, Ephesians 4.12. Your responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news. We thank you for the gospel. It's more than just a story. It is history. It's fact and it's true. We pray anybody who's struggling with that or has been struggling with that, who's searching that out, a seeker of the truth, be affirmed in that faith and that truth this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.